All right, well, good evening. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, and this week will be verses 23 through 29, Lord willing. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Lord, as we look at the end here of this chapter, and we're coming into the chapter that deals with a a lot of practical matters. We ask, we pray, we plead with you, Lord, that as we hear from this text and you point our minds and focus us back on this man Moses and his life, that our minds and our hearts would be reminded of the faith he had, that we would be strengthened in those areas of doubt and fear that we do indeed have, and that we would more and more in a greater way look to you and find our confidence and our hope in you, Jesus. Of course, as we always pray, Lord, may we leave here knowing you better and loving you more than we did when we walked in, Lord. All this for your glory and your great name's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've been going through this, we've been in Hebrews for a year now. One of the things that I was thinking about this week as I was preparing for this and as reading Moses and thinking about the whole context of this here, why bringing up Moses? Now, Moses, for sure, is one of the pinnacles of the Old Testament people. He is at the top of the top, maybe him and David, right? In terms of Old Testament characters, it's Moses and it's David. But Moses is who we focus on here. And interestingly, we don't really focus on David throughout much of this whole text. I mean, he's mentioned, but he's not pointed out. So that tells me that in the writer of the Hebrews, right, he's either writing this or preaching a sermon or something, He picks this illustration out here at the very end of his lengthy illustrations 
And I think there's a point to be had here. He's taking everything he said before. Chapter 11 is him illustrating why everything he said before is so important. And here he's kind of tying up the bow. And next week we'll look at that bow being kind of cinched at the very end. But this is where it all comes together, I think. Here's why. If you want to sum up the book of Hebrews in a sentence... I think that a good sentence would be, fear not, because Jesus is greater than everything else. Fear not, because Jesus is greater than everything else. Because when we get down to the root problem that the Hebrews were experiencing, it really came down to fear. They were abandoning and leaving the church out of fear of what might happen. Fear of persecution, fear of pain, fear of punishment, fear of prison, and ultimately fear of death. But all in all, the problem that they had and the reason why they needed confidence and they needed warnings and they needed pleadings, they needed urgings, they needed, like I've said so many times, someone to come along and grab them by their collar and say, Buck up! This is okay. We're going to make it. Jesus is better than all this. Quit freaking out about the world is because of their fear. Now, fear is all throughout Scripture. We find this issue of fear coming up over and over and over and over again. People being afraid about certain things. In fact, when we go through here, if you look through this text again, you'll see Moses' parents didn't fear the king's edict. Moses refused to be called the sons of, son of the Pharaoh's daughter because he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He didn't fear giving up the treasures of Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the king's anger. You see? He sprinkles the blood of the Passover here because he is more in fear of God than he is of Pharaoh and his not letting the people go. And of course, they cross through on dry land, not fearing the Egyptians behind them, the water on the side of them, or the unknown ahead of them. But all in all, they are more in awe of God than they are in fear of everything else. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have the Shema, and just after the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, and I'll start in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and you are full, take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord of your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. It's the Lord you shall fear. You're going to come into this land of abundance and have everything provided for you. And when you settle and you settle into ease and into comfort, don't go after striving after other gods, but continue to fear the Lord. Right? Proverbs tells us there in chapter 1 and verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, right? It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, so many people struggle with that concept of fearing God, right? I mean, at this point, we understand that the reason he's calling them to fear, to be in awe, to be in reverence of God, is because God is a jealous God. Don't go after these other things because God and God alone is the only true and living God. And if you go after these other things, then you are robbing God, you are stealing from God the very glory that is due His name, that He deserves, that He should rightly be given. God is jealous for His own glory, and rightfully so, in a way that a husband should be jealous for his wife's love, or a wife for her husband's love. Those are good things. And here it's a good thing that God gets the glory that he deserves. The reason it's the beginning of wisdom is because the very first and primary thing for all peoples is that God exists and we must believe that he exists. And then it goes on to say he rewards those who diligently seek him, right? In the book of Hebrews that we're studying. And that's exactly what is happening here in Deuteronomy. Worship God, he rewards those who seek him, fear him, love him, honor him, reverence him. You believe in God, then fear will come along with it. This respect, this reverence, this desire to give God the glory and honor that is due His name. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, pardon me, 2 Timothy, it tells us that, that there's no fear in God, right? That He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Right? A sound mind, love, and not a spirit of fear. The fear that comes from us worshiping God is not one of terror, right? It's not one that I am scared, the dickens of God kind of thing. It's the fear that one has for somebody who they respect. Even more so, I mean, it's a poor analogy, but, you know, we all respect the bosses that we work for, and so we do what they ask us to do. We know that there is, at the most extreme end, the threat of us losing our job if we are working in disobedience against them. We're not doing what they're asking. Insubordination could be the lead of ter- could lead to termination. But at the same time, a good boss is somebody that we respect and that we honor and that we reverence. In fact, even to go a step further, there's a sense where when we love somebody, that the kind of fear that I believe is plaguing the Hebrew church is cast out. In 1 John chapter 4, John mentions this. 
You probably know this passage, but it's good to look at it. 1 John 4. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Day of judgment's a fearful thing, right, beloved? I mean, it's something that should strike terror into the heart of people. It's one of the things that the minor prophets brought up over and over and over again. The day of the Lord is coming. And it wasn't just mere sword rattling. It was a real threat. And a real call to repentance because of the day of the Lord coming. This day of judgment. But love is perfected with us because we have confidence on that day. Because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, here, in contrast to the passages we looked at in Deuteronomy, Proverbs 1, uh, we see that there's, he's speaking of fear in two different ways, right? There's this honor and respect that we were just talking about, and there's this fear and torment here of the day of judgment to come, the fear of the uncertainty, the fear that I might actually be one who is cast off. In Matthew, in chapter 10, Jesus, in, I think, brings both of these together. Matthew chapter 10, he says, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Well, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So we should not fear men around us. We should fear the Lord. We should fear denying God. Because if we deny Christ, he will deny us. And that's something that should be feared. So here we see these two concepts of fear coming together in the very words of Jesus. And I think this is so helpful because this is exactly what the book of Hebrews is doing, especially right here in the part that we're in. He's taking them, he's trying to shake them from their fear of the world and refocus their attention on God, refocus their attention on Christ, and teach them that Christ is greater than everything else, so therefore they should fear him and not the men who are around them and surrounding them. So back to Hebrews chapter 11. Moses, 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, we're all parents. (laughs) I guarantee you, we all understand the fear that our noisy children can make. (laughs) Right? I can't. So I, my first thought in thinking through this was, that's, that's impressive. Three months they hid him. And you know the edict, right? The edict had gone out that any children under the age of two were to be killed. The male children were to be killed. They were to be killed by the midwives. And remember that whole thing about the midwives coming and saying the Hebrew women are so vigorous, they give birth before we can get there, and they were secretly trying to allow the babies to be born and not follow through the king's commands. But here, the baby was hidden for three months because they were not afraid of the king's edict. They trusted the Lord more than the king's edict, so they hid him by faith. They trusted God. God, we're going to hide this child. We're going to violate the laws of the land and live in civil disobedience because we believe obedience to you is greater than the obedience to the king in this particular situation. Now it says here, because they saw the child was beautiful. What parent doesn't think their child is beautiful, right? We all do. The point isn't as they're like, Oh, Moses is so much prettier than all of the other kids. We've got to save this one, right? The point is, is they trusted God. They believed him. And so they feared him and what would come upon them if they allowed Moses to be killed rather than what would come upon them in denying the king the submission that I guess isn't really due to him in this point, but in following through with the submission that they were supposed to do. By faith, when he was born, he was hidden for three months. Then you know the story. We don't know exactly what happened, but they ended up putting him in that basket and sending him out in the sea, or not the sea, the Nile River, and it ended up flowing to Pharaoh's daughter, which is how we get to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, this sum up is a little simplistic, right? If you know the story, it's in Exodus chapter 2, and he goes out and he sees one of his fellow countrymen being mistreated And so he ends up taking the life of the Egyptian who is mistreating one of his brethren. And then he had to flee. He had to get out of there because it was known that he had done this. And he didn't want that to come back on him and him to be killed. So he did refuse to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't have to stick up for the Israelite. He didn't have to stand up for him. He didn't have to defend him. He did. And in so doing, he denied all of the pleasures of Egypt. And it says here, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, 
You don't have to be a prince in order to experience and know that there are pleasures of sin to be found in the world. They're all over and they're available pretty freely and pretty easily. Especially nowadays. I mean, there was a time, I remember going to Pompeii, and when I was over in Italy, and it's so amazing how well it's preserved. If you ever go there to Italy, you, should, you go to Pompeii. But one of the things that places that we went to was this old brothel, and you had to determine I'm going to go to this building, and I'm going to go do the things that happen in this building. Versus today, you could sit in your own home and you could enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin right there. You don't have to make that determination and go out and be necessarily seen in that particular way. Here in our nation, it seems like it's going down the road more and more of making things legal that at one particular point in time were considered sin. And while there are certainly some good things that come along with liberty, there's also sin. Being wise, fearing the Lord, means refusing to be called a child of this world. And being mistreated rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now here in this context, I imagine that there's a a not so subtle jab at the Hebrew believers. Because we all know they're threatened by abandoning the church and going back to the old ways of living and the old ways of thinking. Here I do believe one of the things that he's getting at is Moses refused to be called a child of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated just like the rest of the people of God than to go down the path of ease, right? And that's what the Hebrews are struggling with. I don't want to continue to endure this persecution. It's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. Instead, I would much rather go back to the old ways because it was so much easier. Yes, there was persecution for being a Jew, but boy, it is much more intense being a Christian. So in the context, his call to them is to say, keep on keeping on. Don't give in for the pleasures of sin. It's a sin to deny Christ and go back to the old ways of living and the old ways of ease and the old ways of thinking. Don't do that. Moses didn't. For us here, I mean, we don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody here listening is genuinely thinking, you know what, I'm done being a Christian, I'm going to go off and do something else. Don't do it. (laughs) You can't do that. What are you going to go to? There is nothing better out there. Your only thing, the only thing that awaits you out there is fleeting pleasures of sin. 
whatever pleasure you experience is going to be fleeting and you're going to have to continually chase that pleasure in order to have any measure of supposed satisfaction. But it's never going to satisfy, which is why it's fleeting and why you continually need to be on that treadmill. Instead, Christ. And yes, we are going to be and sometimes are mistreated for following Christ and following his ways and following him, but it is not fleeting. We experience, like Paul says, the peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts, guard our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have this peace that the world doesn't get, the world doesn't understand. The peace that we can endure difficulty and hardship. We can endure pain and suffering. We can endure all kinds of things because what we possess is not fleeting. But rather it's lasting forever. Here and for time and eternity. It's interesting, verse 26, he says, He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, immediately, we're struck with, now how did he know the reproaches of Christ? How many thousands of years before Christ did Moses live? Lots of them. How did he consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Well, it tells us he was looking to the reward. Okay? Remember when we read Deuteronomy chapter 6 there? It said that God was bringing them into the land. Remember, Deuteronomy was written by Moses. He said they're going to be brought into the land that had cities that they didn't build, houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant, cisterns that they didn't dig and they were going to receive all of this reward because they were going in there as God had promised and they by faith were going to receive those promises but this here is a different kind of reward because Moses didn't go into the promised land there's something else and you'll notice here it's connected with his choosing to be mistreated so this is long before the exodus takes place that he considers the reward that God promises for faithfulness. What does that look like? Well, you're in Hebrews, so look at chapter 13. Look at, let's start in verse uh, 11. In verse 10, let's start in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus, he also suffered outside of the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp And bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledges his name. Don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices God are pleasing to God. So our city here is not lasting. Where we live here is not lasting. And Moses, that's what I think he's considering. He's considering Egypt with all of its treasures. Pharaoh with all of his power. Me being a daughter of Pharaoh, or pardon me, a son of Pharaoh's daughter, it doesn't compare to Christ. In his mind, it doesn't compare to the reward of following God. It doesn't compare to the kingdom of heaven. He believed his people when they said, Their God was the true and living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he looked at all the gods and all the pleasures around him, and he said, no, that is more valuable. That is worth more than all of the treasures that I have here around me. And so that's how he considered the reproaches of Christ. He chose rather to endure pain and suffering. He believed in the promises to come, even though he didn't know Christ, he didn't know the name Jesus. He still knew that it's better to be reproached for the name of God and to suffer for his sake than to experience the fleeting pleasures of sin in this world. So then jump ahead. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So by faith, he left Egypt. In fact, look at Exodus 12 with me. Exodus 12, and let's begin in verse, oh, verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. They said, we're all going to be dead. Right, this is just after the Passover. This is just after the death of the firstborn. And finally, all of the Egyptians in unison are saying, we're all going to die if we don't get these people out of our land. Verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given people the favor and the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked for. <laughs> Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, and a mixed multitude went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. 
time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was about 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all of the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night from the watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout these generations. Moses finally was given permission to lead the people out and he not only not being afraid of the king's anger but told all of the people to go into the houses of the Egyptians and take whatever they wanted and they did and that God gave favor to the Israelites and they took whatever they wanted but he was not afraid of the anger of king of the king because he had much more confidence in what he hadn't seen than who he had seen He'd never seen God. He'd seen the burning bush. Moses had heard the voice of the Lord. Sometime down the road after this story takes place, he's going to see the glory of God. But still, he had never seen God himself. And yet how many times he had seen the king of Egypt, we don't know. But he was certainly around with that power and the might that the Egyptian army and the Egyptian wealth brought, but he was not afraid and he trusted the Lord all the more. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He believed and feared God more. When God said he's going to bring the angel of death through the land, he believed it. And he instituted it for all the people to follow, and they did. And they feared the Lord more than they feared the king. Finally, by faith, the people crossed to the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. In verse 50 of chapter 12 of Exodus, it says, All the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. See, we all will experience fear in our lifetimes. In fact, there's going to be times where we as Christians are going to struggle with Do we speak up in this situation? Do we not? Do we say this? And especially as we see the worldly and cultural revolution advancing as it is, Christians are just going to be marginalized more and more and more and more. They're going to be forced into nominalism or they're going to be forced into, I hope, some kind of aggressive confessionalism where they're going to have to really trust, believe, and formulate the things that they believe so that they can stand fast in the midst of serious trial and persecution. It is going to come. It has in the past, and it's going to come in our future. And who knows what will happen beyond that. Maybe the Lord will return. Maybe he won't. But fear is what the Hebrews were struggling with. And for us who... live and have our being in the world each and every day 
It behooves us to be mindful of this kind of faith and this kind of confidence. That those anxieties are going to creep up within us, but we can hold fast and stand sure, knowing that he who called us is faithful. He who called us is true. He that is within us is greater than he who is in the world. By faith we live. There's a reason why Christianity is called faith. (laughs) Because it is a belief, it is a trust, it is a pure and holy confidence in God and his truth and what he said. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to believe that some guy who died 2,000 years ago has any ramifications on my life today. Unless the God of all creation had purposed that death to be the very means by which I might be saved from my sins. And if that's true, then I can trust God. If he supplied my salvation so far back then, then there's nothing that can go on in this world that I should waver in my faith in. We should pray for this kind of confidence. We should hope for this kind of trust. We should look, rather than experiencing the fleeting pleasures of sin that this world provides, be looking for the glory of God and trusting that what he said for us is greater than anything and anyone that we could experience here in this world. He is truly the chief and best of all beings. We shouldn't fear God because Jesus is greater than anything else. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we ask for you to bless us with peace. Because, Lord, we know that there are so many things in this world that can cause us anxiety and fear and struggle and strife. But, Lord, with you and in you, we can have confidence because you are greater than anything in this world. So, Lord, we don't want to fear this world or the people of it, but rather we want to trust and follow you. And in so doing, Lord, lead us to bring other people along on this life of faith. May they see you as worthy, and may they see within us as we stand firm something that is to be desired.